Welcome back to another Wednesday night class. Welcome back, Kevin. It is good to, to be here with Kevin. It's good to be here with all of you. Thank you so much for continuing to participate in our Wednesday night Bible study. And maybe if this is your first time with us, we are talking about friendship, talking about the blessings and the struggles of friendship and why it's worth it to invest in friendships and to uh, go deeper in the friendships that we already have. But before we get into tonight's lesson, I do want to give a plug for something coming up this weekend, which is our 24 hours of prayer. Obviously, going through what we're going through as a community, as a church family, as a world, the entire global population is going through something very challenging right now, and we need prayer now as much, if not more than ever. And so we're going to spend 24 hours in prayer from this Friday at noon to Saturday at noon. Of course, we're going to all be praying from our own homes. We'll, we'll be distant, but we'll be united in prayer. So if you're interested in participating in the 24 hours of prayer, you can sign up for a one-hour time slot uh, to pray with us, and you can do that at ccmcdermott.org slash 24. So go to ccmcdermott.org slash 24, sign up for an hour of prayer, and also you can submit your prayer requests, and then everybody that signs up will get a long prayer list of everybody that has requested prayer so that we can all be praying for those things around the clock from Friday at noon to Saturday at noon. And then after our 24 hours of prayer is over, our, our elders are going to have a live Q&A from right here at the church building. They will be here at the church building. You can be at your house and watching on our website, ccmcdermott.org slash live, or on our Facebook, or on our YouTube, all the places you typically watch this stream. You can be watching uh, our elders as they give sort of an update about where we are right now as a congregation, where the next few weeks and months will lead us, hopefully, uh, as well as answer some of your questions. So uh, be, be putting that on your calendar. But also, if you have something that you would like for the elders to, to discuss or to a question that you'd like for them to answer, you can email that to me, to one of our other ministers, or to one of the elders directly. Just put question for, for elders in the subject line, and I'm sure that they would love to answer as many of those questions as they can get to. So right. lots going on this weekend. And maybe you already talked about this, but the 24 hours of prayer, are we signing into a Zoom meeting or something to pray with the group, or are we doing it on our own? That is a great question. I'm glad Kevin is here to ask those kinds of questions. <laughs> um, it depends on who your prayer leader is and what your prayer leader wants to do. I'll give a plug for a specific time slot, which is 2 a.m. to 3 a.m. Ooh, yeah. That's where I'll be leading. Okay. Uh, and so uh, some of the prayer leaders will be doing a Zoom uh, conference to start that hour of prayer. You mm -hmm. know, they'll probably just do a five or 10 minute uh, Zoom or something like okay. that. Pray with all of their people and then kind of, you know, everybody gets off Zoom and, and prays for, for the rest of their hour, you know, by themselves. Uh, but it just depends on who the prayer well, leader is. If it's is. a me too to three o'clock, I'll be going back to sleep. <laughs> so maybe Hopefully I shouldn't not. sign up. Yeah. <laughs> but, but yes, if you're looking for a time slot, I happen to know that the two to 3 a.m. time slot has a lot of vacancies. So join me in prayer. <laughs> This Friday or Saturday morning at two in the morning. So we would love to have you do that. But yes, it depends on the prayer leader. Some of them will start with a, a Zoom meeting. Some of them won't. But it's just a matter of getting everybody's commitment that they're going to be praying during that hour. Right. Of time. And the prayer leader will probably communicate to everybody. On exactly. The list. Yep. Yep. Okay. They'll they'll communicate with you depending on on who your prayer leader is. Great. That Great was question. my question. Great so. question. I love it. It's <laughs> awesome. Let's jump into our lesson tonight. We're going to talk about the friendship of Paul and Peter, uh, a friendship we don't talk about a whole lot, um, but, but 
an interesting dynamic, I'm sure, existed between the two of them. First of all, because when Peter first knew about Paul, it had to have been at the worst possible time in the worst possible way, because Peter was in Jerusalem when Paul was part of persecuting the church in Jerusalem. We read in in Acts chapter 8 and verse 1, Saul approved of the execution of Stephen, and there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria except the apostles. Devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him. But Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house. He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. So, I mean, if we just kind of read between the lines there, um, Stephen has been executed. Saul, Paul, uh, was part of that execution. And then he is part of, as Luke puts it, ravaging the church. And it And it says, and this stuck out to me when I was reading this, devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him. And I have to think Peter was probably part of that group that was lamenting and weeping and burying his friend and co-worker, Stephen. And so Paul, or Peter rather, had to know of Saul of Tarsus, and he knew of him in this way, that he was essentially a terrorist, terrorizing the church, a state-sponsored terrorist, one that the the Jewish Sanhedrin was sending into homes to break down doors and arrest men and women and drag them off to prison and give his okay to, to even executions. In Acts chapter 26, this is Paul talking about his former life as a persecutor, and he said, I myself was convinced that I ought to do many things in opposing the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And I did so in Jerusalem. I not only locked up many of the saints in prison after receiving authority from the chief priests, but when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. And I punished them often in all the synagogues and tried to make them blaspheme. And in raging fury against them, I persecuted them even to foreign cities. So this must be how Peter first becomes acquainted with at least the reputation of Saul of Tarsus. I don't know if they ever had any one-on-one interactions, but it had to be somebody that he, I don't want to say hated because I'm sure he loved him because as a follower of Jesus, he loved his enemies, but I'm sure was terrified of him. And um, I'm sure that his actions, yeah. of course, made his blood boil because and of what he was And maybe someone doing. hard to love, right? Uh, oh, absolutely. Yeah, right? no doubt. Absolutely. And so three years after Paul becomes a follower of Jesus. Three years after his Damascus Road experience, uh, Paul and Peter first meet. Paul tells about this in Galatians 1, says in verse 18, Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas, that's Peter, and remained with him 15 days. But I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. In what I'm writing to you before God, I do not lie. Then I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia, and I was still unknown to to, in person to the churches of Judea that are in Christ, they only were hearing it said, he who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they glorified God because of me. Then, of course, Paul goes off um, to sort of his home uh, region around Tarsus for nearly a decade. So from this point, it's, it's about 14 years probably before Paul comes to, with Barnabas, down to Jerusalem, bringing aid uh, for some of the things that were going on in Jerusalem at that time. And then at some point, 
Peter travels up to Antioch. So Peter sort of lives and works in Jerusalem, and Paul lives and works in Antioch. And at some point, Peter traveled north to Antioch and, and uh, went and stayed with and worked with the church there for a little while, visited what was going on there. And Antioch was an interesting congregation. It was a huge church family, and it was very interracial, uh, multicultural church family, Jewish Christians and Gentile Christians all working and living together. But problems began to arise. In chapter 2 of Galatians, Paul says this, when Cephas, again, that's Peter, came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he, Peter, was eating with the Gentiles, but when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. Did I read too far? Oh, and, and the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him, so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas before them all, if you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? So much there, of course, that we could, we could zero in on. But, but I think that the main thing here is that Paul and Peter had this good working relationship in spite of how it all started with Paul being a persecutor of the church then he became a follower of Jesus, and they realize they're on the same page, they're working together, and they begin to work together, and I'm sure a friendship formed at some point. But then you have this circumstance where Peter comes up, and he's eating with all of the Gentiles until a certain group of Jews show up from Jerusalem, and then he starts to say, no, 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 I guess maybe they're looking down on me for eating with these Gentiles, and so I will I'll move over here and I won't eat with the Gentiles. It's really hard for us to sort of think about what that might have been like. But, but I think about situations maybe like in the 50s and 60s in the United States and you had um, African-American brothers in, in Christ and you had Caucasian brothers in Christ that some who were very courageous in crossing those um, ethnic divides, those cultural divides, and reaching across and, and, and building relationships, and others who simply went along with the status quo, who were too afraid to do what they knew needed to be done and love their brothers in Christ in spite of the cultural animosity and the racism that was rampant in our, in our culture. And so you had these types of situations, and Peter seems to find himself in that type of situation where he knows the right thing to do is to embrace his Gentile brothers in full fellowship. But when the pressure gets put on him by these Jews that have come up from Jerusalem, he begins to distance himself from them and begins to only eat with Jewish Christians and with Jewish people. And then even Barnabas is led astray. And Paul looks at this situation and, and I think his love for obviously for his Gentile brothers who are being hurt by this, by, by somebody saying, I'm not going to eat with you because you're not Jewish and you're not you know, circumcised and you don't eat kosher foods and these kind of things. And so I'm going to go over here and separate myself from you. His love for them, but also his love for Peter and his love for Barnabas causes him to speak up and to say something. 
And two, he says, I opposed him to his face. And he spoke up and he said, this is wrong. And you're being a hypocrite. And you're standing self-condemned. And you, you cannot live this way. You cannot act this way. You know better than this. And he calls him out on this. And this could cause, it could cause repentance. Or it could cause this huge rift. And it yeah. could cause separation to happen where where one branch of the church goes in one direction, another branch goes in another direction, or at least Paul goes in one direction and Peter goes in another direction. But I'm so thankful that that doesn't seem to be what happens. Him admonishing and rebuking Peter actually seems to bring everything back together because we read in in Peter's last letter, 2 Peter chapter 3, Peter writes this. He says, Therefore, beloved... Since you are waiting for these, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace, and count the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given him, as he does in all his letters when he speaks in, it speaks in them of these matters. There are some things in them in Paul's letters that are hard to understand, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction as they do the other scriptures. So Peter commends the work of Paul and says, our beloved Paul wrote to you in his letters about these things and you should listen to what he's saying. So obviously Paul and Peter's relationship was was healed and mended and they're working together in spite of the fact that they had, again, as Paul had with several of his friends, these moments of tension and and conflict where Paul would say, no, what you're doing is wrong. Don't do that. Do it this way. Stop doing these things this way. And there's these moments of conflict where in other relationships, it might cause a breakdown. It might cause a rift that can never be healed and never be mended. But, but Paul seems to have these moments of conflict in several of his friendships that we've talked about, John Mark and Barnabas and here with Peter, that afterwards things get better. And, and, and so as we talk about this idea of taking responsibility, it really stuck out to me that, that both Paul and Peter seem to be, because we don't know, you know what all happened in between Paul saying, you're wrong, you're being a hypocrite, stop doing that, and, and Peter saying, listen to Paul. He's, he's, he's writing scripture. You know, what happened in between there? But I think both Paul and Peter, because they're mature followers of Jesus, seem to be the kind of men who take responsibility, who say, I need to do what I can do to mend this relationship. I need to take the responsibility to say something, whether that means I need to say something about what they're doing that's wrong, or I need to take the responsibility to bring reconciliation. And both Paul and Peter, all mature followers of Jesus, I think need to embrace this responsibility and say, what can I do to make the the relationship better? Yeah, well, and you can see in that example that... uh, Paul did not overvalue peace there, mm. right? He did not say, well, I just we need to make sure we never fight in yeah. the body of Christ, that we never um, are at odds with each other. He saw that there was something wrong happening and that there was a greater peace and a greater spirit to be attained. Yeah, that's a good way to put it, a greater peace. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And so the, and I think that's really the theme of tonight's lesson is that even, even though it may be difficult to be confrontational or maybe difficult to humble yourself. Mm-hmm. There is a greater good to be gained if you 
take it on yourself to be humbled or to be the one that says something yeah. to somebody that um, it may be easier just to let that pass on by. Yeah, because it certainly would have been in Antioch. It would have it would have been easier in some ways to just say, well. Pff, I don't like what he's doing, but I'm not going to say anything about it. Right. I, I don't want to. I don't want to cause a scene. I don't want to bring it up. I just will just let it lie. Right. And Paul's trying to build trust here, and being the guy that comes in and kind of ruffles some feathers. That's not the easiest way to do that. Right. 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 And it's not a good way to make friends. Yeah. And I, I think Paul must have been a very difficult guy to get along with. Sure. Right. And. and you know, we see this many examples in his life, and he's very strong-willed, very yeah. uh, opinionated, yeah. and um, he. And I think we all know people like that, sure. right? And he really wanted people to do things the right way, mm-hmm. right? And I think we all know people like that too. And yeah. maybe they're not the easiest people to get on with, but those are the people we know we can count on, mm-hmm. yeah, because of their zealousness for the right thing or yeah. for God or anything yeah he, he he definitely called it like he saw it he, he yeah. wasn't he wasn't fla- he wasn't into flattery or just telling somebody what they wanted to hear he was going to tell the truth even if it was a hard truth yeah yeah and I like that about Paul and I think it's a good example for us to to, to think about yeah. in our life and so you know I feel like you were saying there's two ways that this taking responsibility seems to manifest most often in friendships Either you're going to take responsibility, be the one to speak up, mm-hmm. right? like this is on me, and if I don't say something, then it's on me that things went poorly, mm. right? And then another kind where you have a disagreement or a falling out with a, a brother or sister and taking it on yourself to be the one to come back, yeah. right? And so maybe talking first about being the one to say something. Yeah. When you see that your friend is in sin, or that maybe not even a friend, maybe just a brother in Christ or a sister in Christ, and that they're behaving incorrectly. Mm-hmm. Um, knowing how to approach that well is really challenging. Mm-hmm. Now, assuming that it's somebody that you've already tried to develop a relationship with, um, which it would probably go best if that was the case, but doesn't always mean that you have to depend on a good relationship to say something. Um, it, that is when you're keeping in mind their context, mm-hmm. keeping in mind where maybe this bad idea came from, mm-hmm. right? And assuming that maybe they've had this bad idea for an okay reason, right? And so coming to them and saying, like, I'm not sure what your plan is here, or maybe you do know what their plan is, mm-hmm. and talking to that plan then can help you to correct but saying, well, I'm not sure what the deal is here, but I don't think this is right. Mm-hmm. I'm concerned that this will lead you down a bad path. Mm-hmm. Right? And I, I think here with Paul and Peter, they saw that, that it's like this isn't good for the church. Mm-hmm. This isn't good for the body for you to separate yourself from the Gentiles when other Jews are around. Mm-hmm. And so... And that mixed message is difficult anyway. Mm-hmm. But even in maybe a a less biblical example to say your friend talks badly about another brother, another sister in Christ uh, when that other person is around and maybe they're gossiping. Mm-hmm. And knowing that that is not good for the health of the church, the health mm-hmm. of that person that is talking about it or the health of the person they're talking about. I um, mean, 
in a lot of times, gossip will come out um, as a false kind of concern mm. for that other person. Say, <laughs> so, oh, I'm really worried. Bless their heart. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, it's like, this is really difficult for me um, to talk about, but then they go on to talk about mm-hmm. something they ought not to. Um, but coming to that and saying, it's like, you know, I know this person must frustrate you if you're talking about them like that. Like, mm-hmm. this must be hard for you. Mm-hmm. Right? So acknowledging they have a point of view and then saying, like, I, I just don't think it helps things to talk about them like that. Yeah. Right? And, and maybe even asking them if they think it helps things or if it helps make it easier for them. Right? Because it may be that they're struggling with the other person and you can talk about that without making it about that other person. Mm-hmm. It's like, you know, I have these people in my life that when they talk to me, I feel this way or I feel very put on or I feel anxious or something like that. You can talk about that without gossiping, mm-hmm. right? And so not being pulled into this defamation of character yeah. is, um, is good. And so yeah. helping your friend to see that there is this other way um, is how to help pull them mm-hmm. out of this sinful attitude, the sinful behavior. And they, that is an excellent way to take responsibility. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, it reminds me of the question that uh, Cain asks, you know, am, am I my brother's keeper? You know, I mean, it, it, it really, when it comes down to it, when you, we read the gospel and we, we read all of the things that the apostles wrote about how to live out the gospel, how to live in step with, with the gospel, is that we do have to take some responsibility for each other or responsibility to each other where we, we say, yes, that is Kevin's relationship with God. That's between God, Kevin and God or whatever. Mm-hmm. You know, yes, to some degree, and maybe there are times where we just say, you know, Kevin's working through that and I'm not going to say anything to him. But there's other times where we have to take responsibility to say, no, I really, I could help if I said, you know what, when we, when we do this, it's really not healthy for the, the greater body of Christ. It's not healthy for you. It's not healthy for me. And, and taking the responsibility to speak up and say something when, when we see something that's causing damage. Right. Well, and I think the times when we can let it pass by, that those are appropriate when we've already said something, mm-hmm. right? So they know how we feel That's and true. they know what we think, yeah. right? Um, and as we are preparing each other, right? It's like as we're preparing to help, that can be an agonizing time, mm. right? And like we talked about a few weeks ago, it's like that is us laboring on their behalf. Yeah. Like we're, we're grieving for their sin, right? Yeah. That's Good. We should do that. Yeah. And I think it's also okay if we're trying to think of the right way to do it and we miss an opportunity. Sure. I mean, it's not okay, but it's understandable. Sure. Like that's part of it. Right? And, but building up to speaking up is, is what we need to do. Mm-hmm. There right? should be some tension there. Yeah. I think for sometimes it's, when it's too easy, maybe that mm-hmm. ought to be a red flag. When it's too easy for us to correct people, <laughs> you know, there ought to be something that says, oh, Maybe that's coming too easy. We ought to yeah. agonize before we say, you know, hey, this is real. And if we're not agonizing, maybe that's a problem in and of itself. Right, and to come at it with gentleness. Yeah. Um, and gentleness and love, right? Yeah. And so, you know, I think we hear the, the phrase, that speak truth in love. Um, and I think that is wise, but sometimes I think that can be misconstrued to mean that, like, I'm going to say hard things and mean things to people 
um, and say it's because I care about them, yeah. which I think can be true. Sure. But I think you can really miss the point of encouraging if you don't come at it with gentleness as well. Yeah, the truth isn't necessarily in love. Just because you're saying something true doesn't mean that it's loving. Yeah. You, you have to do both. <laughs> you have to speak the truth in a loving way. It needs to be motivated by love, but mm. just motivation isn't enough. You know, Paul is pretty specific. Love is patient, love is kind, it doesn't envy, it's not rude, it's not, you know, so if, if it's rude, even if it's true, it's not loving. And so I think we have to make sure that not only we're motivated with the right sort of motivation, but like you said, right. that we're being gentle in the way that we're saying it, right. empathizing with their motivation. Right, and then in those public spaces, like in the Paul example, that was maybe not a possible, it's maybe not possible mm -hmm. to quietly go behind the scenes and say like, hey, you know, this makes sense that you'd behave like this, but it's not okay. Yeah. And it also seems like Paul's not exactly that kind of person. Yeah. Right. And so I, I think Paul maybe depended more on making things right after the fact than trying to yeah. deliver a really gentle, really like mm -hmm. coddling kind of approach. Well, and, and I think too that that not only is Paul's friendship with Peter one aspect of this conversation, but also Paul's friendship with all of the Gentile Christians that mm. are there. I mean, that's another thing that Paul is sticking up for them. He's yeah. defending them and they're the, they're the weaker, you know, more yeah. vulnerable brothers and sisters. Well, that's something we see out of the gospels all the time. Yeah. It's like there's this vulnerable sector, vulnerable class of people and then the powerful class that mm -hmm. is misbehaving. And Jesus does not step down from that. Right. Right. And he, he confronts every single time, mm -hmm. or every single time I can think of right yeah. now. Yeah. And that he is very clear. Yeah. Right. And that clarity is important and mm -hmm. good. Um, but on a friendship level, it's prudent to come at it with gentleness as well, mindful that you plan to have a relationship with this person after yeah. this conversation. Yeah, we're not in the right. business of burning bridges. Right, no. yeah. right. And so I think that is one part of taking responsibility that just has to be focused on mm -hmm. is really important. And when you have enmity or a conflict with the brother, um, taking it on yourself to be the one to make things right, mm -hmm. I think is another important aspect of taking responsibility. A lot of times what stands in our way in those conflict is that we feel utterly justified in our position. Mm. And I'd like to speak to that just a little bit. And it's like, you know, as we've talked about the last couple of weeks in, you know, examining ourselves and examining the, the life of our brother mm -hmm. or sister there. And so we see that just as we are justified in our position, so too are they justified. Mm. Right. And seeing their point of view is key for creating a stronger bond, a stronger relationship. Yeah. And so saying like, you know what? I am justified. I am right about my position, but they're also right about their position. And I want to help them see that I care about their position, mm -hmm. right? That their position matters to me mm -hmm. enough that I'm going to humble myself, step out of my position mm -hmm. and tell them that they matter that their point of view matters to me mm -hmm. and to try to help them find some kind of resolution to their point of view. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that that's exactly what Paul tried to help Peter see was that his, 
Peter's behavior wasn't in step. He says it wasn't in step with the gospel. Mm -hmm. And so helping Peter to understand, I see what you're trying to, what your mission is, because our Mm -hmm. mission is the same, to proclaim the good news of Jesus. And what you're doing actually isn't aligning with that. So Mm -hmm. when Peter could see that, I think he came back to realizing, oh, this isn't even aligned with my own perspective. And I think a lot of times when we can have those conversations where we can say, I see where you're coming from, but do you see how this doesn't necessarily match up with what you're trying to accomplish? Then at the very least, we're communicating that we hear them and we see we see where they're coming from, their perspective and their motivation. Right. Well, and even going back to the gossiping friend example, mm-hmm. um, and as we're talking about that, it, I think we can see that as a moment to make things right with him as well. I mean, we can imagine anybody that gets frustrated by somebody and talks about them to everybody else can also get frustrated with us at times. Yeah. And so then imagining that, well, they, they may have spoken about me like this too. Mm-hmm. Right, and then to make peace with that for yourself, rather than to cast them off, but to recognize like this is how they're dealing with what they're going through, yeah. and to help them deal with it differently, yeah. um, I, I think is an opportunity there to to do both kinds of taking responsibility. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And it's not it's not about finding out who thinks about things the right way, right? Whose point of view is better? Because um, you know, like I said, it. If we examine properly, then we can understand why their point of view isn't so bad, mm-hmm. isn't so warped, isn't mm-hmm. so wrong, mm-hmm. right? Even if what they're doing is very wrong, mm-hmm. right? The, the reason they're doing it has some kind of justification, mm-hmm. um, even if the justification is broken. Mm-hmm. And you're just like, well, like this doesn't add up. Like, well, maybe it does add up to them and helping them to see that you care about that mm-hmm. is how you can change their mind. Mm-hmm. And so it just diving into their mind, diving into their point of view, giving up your opportunity to have the better one is how we break in here. Mm-hmm. So what do you, I guess when it comes to kind of diminishing ourselves here, do you think we're able to do that without giving up our position? Maybe explain what you mean. Sure. So like I've said, it, our point of view is correct. Mm-hmm. Do you think we're able to understand theirs without giving up our own? Yeah, I think, I think that that's, that's the, the position of, of listening you know, and really mm-hmm. understanding. And I think that it goes back to a lot of things that we've said in this class that we have to try to understand before we try to convince. And so I, I think that, that that's, that's the part of active listening that I'm always trying to encourage people and practice myself, you know, of, of just making sure that when you're having a sort of confrontational conversation with somebody and they're explaining their position, that you can articulate that back to them before you try to, you know, articulate your mm-hmm. position. And, and so often we can't do that. And it's because we don't really understand where they're coming from. And if we get to the point where we can say, okay, Kevin, what I hear you saying is X, Y, and Z, mm-hmm. and, and sort of put that back to them. In, and when they say, yes, that's exactly what I'm yeah. saying. But if, 
if we can't understand where they're coming from, then we're never gonna be able to get on the same page. And so often I think that we feel like if we can articulate their position, then like you said, we've compromised our own mm -hmm. or we've given up our own when that, nothing could be further from the right. truth. The only way to reconcile our two positions is to be able to first understand what they are right. and then we can start to get on the same page. Right. And I think we get so worried about humbling ourselves mm. because we are worried about losing our position. Yeah. Yeah. Right. These things that are important to us, we hold dear to our hearts. Nobody will care about that if I give up on it now. Yeah. Right. And that's kind of scary. Right. Sure. <laughs> and I think it's a real struggle that a lot of people have, and sometimes myself included. But knowing that if I listen to theirs, they're a lot more likely to listen to mine mm -hmm. is important. And they they come to my point of view knowing I care about them. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And so it it's almost. Like you've probably heard it said that the person who apologizes first is like kind of wins mm -hmm. because they everyone feels sorry for them or whatever. Mm -hmm. But and so like I think it has elements of that, but it's not so small as an apology. Like this takes work and it takes effort. Mm -hmm. And you are and you're not just, you know, saying sorry, you're saying, I believe that you were right to feel the way you feel. Mm -hmm. And you're you're diving into that, which is a, a big challenge. And so recognize that that fear that your position could be lost in all of this is, I think that's worthwhile to, yeah. to be afraid of that and to see that that is something you're struggling with. Pushing through and, and trying to do the right thing anyway is, I think, also very good, very, um, very good. It's like, you should do that. <laughs> but um, uh, as, as we let people know that we care about their point of view like we talked about before it's highly likely that they're going to keep going on about it like we and maybe because they haven't been taken seriously before mm -hmm. and so if they haven't been taken seriously before you probably will have to do a little extra work of trying to help them see like yes this is still important to me mm -hmm. and this other example you have of this point of view you have it I guess that, that makes perfect sense. This all adds up. And being patient with them so that good that a greater good can be achieved yeah. is uh is beautiful and perfect there. Yeah, absolutely. So I, I think what this really comes down to um it is that it is risky to take this kind of responsibility. Yeah. And when we do that for other people, we are giving up our right to to be the in the correct position, to have the best point of view. Um, but when we take that risk of humbling ourselves or when we take that risk of action, mm -hmm. then we are doing the right thing. We're, we are putting ourselves in the best position to have the greatest good. Mm -hmm. And it might not always go the way we hope it will, mm -hmm. right? But when we have done that, when we have acted correctly and we have made peace with our actions, it's like maybe... I confronted my gossiping friend and they were upset and they didn't respond very well. And in fact, they're not really talking to me anymore and it kind of makes me wonder if they're talking to everyone else about me. Mm -hmm. Okay, that happened and that was a risk you took. And with that friend, you discovered something about them mm -hmm. and it was painful and that's okay. But you acted correctly, mm -hmm. and you don't have to wonder what would have happened if you had done the right thing in that mm -hmm. situation. Mm -hmm. 
And, you know, I, I think that's part of that risk. Cause like it might not go well, but we can go away from that situation knowing that we did the right thing and that someday they will remember our words and remember mm -hmm. that we cared enough to speak up. Mm -hmm. And do you think too, that even after you have one of those types of confrontations where you know, let's say it is gossip, and let's say I'm gossiping about somebody behind their back, and I'm talking, and then you come to me and you say, Wes, you know, it really it bothers me when, and I understand what you're, you know, why you're doing this. We have this whole conversation, and at the end of the day, we walk away, and I'm mad mm -hmm. that you've criticized me, and I'm mad that you wouldn't listen to me because I was talking about so-and-so over here, and, and so I'm frustrated, and then you're frustrated that I didn't respond well, and then at some point, one of us is going to have to take responsibility mm. to come back to the table, and, and it might be really easy, I think, for you to say, well, pff, listen, the ball's in his court, mm. you know, I told him that he was gossiping and he needed to stop, and he, he wouldn't repent, so, if, you know, if he, if he wants to come back to the table, then, and so you have to risk you know, looking like you're apologizing uh, for doing the yeah. right thing to come back to the table, and maybe I have to risk my pride and ego to come back to the yeah. table. Either way, on either side of it, we, we're taking a risk. And but but at the same time, I, I think that what you're saying in all of this is that is that the rewards of friendship are worth more than we're risking yeah. in, in coming back to the table. And so it might be easy for us to sort of stay on our moral high horse and say, well, I did it, you know, yeah. but but that doesn't mean that we should stay away just because we, we tried something and risked something that it may be worth an even greater risk. Yeah, that is exactly right. And to remember that it's not a short-term project, Yeah. right? So even if you've done the right thing, you've spoken up, and you can tell they need some time to think about it or cool off or to be upset for a moment. Um, it, in the future, re-engaging and reminding them gently, lovingly, yeah. that you care about them and that you haven't forgotten the positive qualities they have and the, mm -hmm. the good parts of your friendship together. Mm -hmm. And even if it's appropriate, I think, to say that you miss it. Yeah. And then I think it would also be appropriate for them to say, like, yeah, you know, I miss it too, but I'm mad at you. Right, and they might even say, "Like I just don't think you understood what I was going through when mm -hmm. I was talking about that, and it sounded like you were being dismissive of me yeah. whenever you told me to stop gossiping or you called it gossip or something mm -hmm. like that." Um, and that's, I think, a good example of somebody who feels like their point of view wasn't acknowledged. Yeah, yeah, and I, I mean, all this is so good, Kevin, because I, I think that we just have this tendency to to wait wait for someone else mm -hmm. to, to do what needs to be done in order to fix the relationship, wait for somebody else to apologize, wait for somebody else to take the first or the next step. Um, when, when all of the, I love the, I love the emphasis of taking responsibility mm -hmm. of saying it's my responsibility, whichever, whichever side I was on when, when this thing, you know, sort of happened or the conflict happened, it's my responsibility to take the next step and yeah. to re-engage and to help to bring some reconciliation and some mending to the relationship. Yeah, I think so. And to see that those rewards are and the, the kind of the benefit of your risk is so worth it. And even yeah. talking about that with your friend yeah, and say like, you know, I, this was hard for me to do, but I remembered this about us together as friends or yeah. I remembered what this was like for me yeah. um, to feel alone or something like that and to remember the benefits of friendship yeah. in that confrontation I think is a uh, key. Yeah, 
It's worth the risk, for sure. It's great stuff. Again, don't forget about our 24 hours of prayer this weekend, Friday and Saturday. Go to ccmcdermott.org slash 24 to be part of that and participate. But again, thank you for participating in our Bible study tonight. And another thanks to Kevin. But let's, uh, let's spend a minute in prayer as we close. Father, we are so thankful for the opportunity to think about our relationships and our friendships with each other that are enriched and informed and shaped by our relationship with you through Jesus. Father, help us to be full of the Spirit. Help us to let the Word of Christ dwell in us richly as we attempt to reconcile with the people that we have broken relationships with, that you help us to dive deeper into the relationships that that are not uh, as deep as they could be and should be. Help us, Father, to engage and to re-engage with the people around us. Help us to risk, to take risks for the sake of deeper and better and richer relationships because that's what you, through Jesus, have done for us. Father, we thank you and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.